is one translation. Metta is similar to the word mita, which means friendliness. But a more rigorous translation of the word is goodwill. And here by good, we mean wholesome. It's an intention, it's an, a direction of feeling towards oneself and others, which is pure, which is welcoming full of goodwill, willing, goodness, benevolence, non-malice, non-enmity, non-aversion. So friendship with that which is lovely. So any friendship that's based on metta, you can call uh, a kalyanamita, a spiritual friend. And the word kalyana, which means lovely, loveliness, refers to, at first we might think of an external friend, someone on the outside. This is my spiritual friend. But as we practice this path of purification, we begin to notice that the real spiritual friend is within us. Within us is the spiritual friend. You might say, I, I know, for a long time I thought that my best friend would be a spiritual friend. Then I began to think of my teacher as my spiritual friend, my best friend. My parents were my spiritual friends, my kalyanamitas. But ultimately the Buddha is our best friend, our spiritual friend, our guide, our light in a dark land. And even that when the teaching is really deeply embedded in our hearts, then the Buddha dwells within us. The Buddha, that Buddha nature is already within us. We have the potential, the ability, the, the energy and the qualities within us to develop that Buddha nature, to realize that inner spiritual friendship with our own heart, within our own heart. And that would be, I think, the state of awakening, when we develop that level of deep inner metta. And it is a quality that unifies. It's bringing all the wholesome qualities, all the perfections to their consummation. And that's an internal process. In that way, we let go of the world 
and we are abiding in a quality of unconditional loving-kindness to all beings, all sentient beings, any kind of being, everything in the world, the good, the not good, the beautiful, the not beautiful, the happy, the unhappy. Even we feel a, a peace and an ability to accept even the most terrible things. So metta, in its highest form, is a path of liberation. And it is often referred to as metta chetto vimuti, which means metta that brings liberation of mind. So there are three practices of metta. The first one is the practice of metta in daily life, through virtue. And we all have tried to practice kindness. Even coming here is an act of kindness. It's a dedication to developing goodness within. You might think that you want to be kind to yourself, but the kindness that we exercise from within to feel good about ourselves is also outwardly tangible, outwardly perceptible by other people. Just like if somebody were to rush into the room here with big boots on and say, how's it going? What's going on? Then you, we might feel, oh, what's he, what's he or she doing here? We might not feel meta. But if we were practicing metta at that moment, we say, come on in, have a seat. Or maybe we'd say, don't come in, because they wouldn't be able to enjoy themselves here, just sitting around, watching everybody breathe. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be very interesting. <laughs> so it depends on what kind of kindness, what we mean by kind to who. Kind according to that person's definition of happy. Be kind to me, I want to be happy. Or kindness in terms of wisdom, like what is compassion, what is kind. So kindness in daily life, in how we act and speak. Speech is a form of activity. And speech also happens even in the silence. Is there anyone here whose mind is completely silent. So the mind is chattering. Sometimes there's editorial commentary, even if it's very far away. I'm a hopeless wreck. That's speech. That's an internal voice, an internal acknowledgement or disparagement based on our conditioning, our strong-held views and opinions and our solid belief in this self. But in fact, there is mental process to be trained. This kindness that we want to practice is not only external in daily life. When we speak about kindness within the mind, we come to an area of training which is methodical. It's the cultivation of wholesomeness in the mind, through the practice of meditation, as a way of cultivating 
as if the mind were a farm, a piece of land, and you want to plant seeds in the soil. So in the soil of the mind, to make it fertile, we have to first remove all the weeds. And after we remove the weeds, we have to till the soil, take out the rocks, and flatten it, mix it, turn it, and then we want to enrich it, add fertilizer and nutrients, so that this will be a productive ground for cultivation. Cultivating metta in a way that it is a meditation practice, to uplift the mind beyond the worldly life. Just as you would meditating on the breath, to let go of that stress-producing energy you use for work, for going on holiday, even going on this retreat. I'm sure for many of you, getting all the details in place, getting somebody to water your plants, feed the cat, take care of your relative, whoever you're looking at, your children, your parents, adjusting your appointments, your calendar, and all your social contacts, turning off the cell phones, turning the world off to get here. So that's stressful. And then when we come here, we bring that stress with us. So before we can really focus on the breath, we have to use means and ways to let go of that stress. If we're breathing with a stressful mind, with a tight mind, then we won't have so much productivity. If you have a garden, you want to grow beautiful sunflowers, tall, wonderful flowers in your garden. So first you have to put down some good earth, or dig up the grass, dig up the weeds, and prepare a piece of land where you can put these seeds. And you, you work the soil, you till it, you turn it over, and you plant these little seeds. After all the weeds are out, all the rocks, you till it, you plant the seeds. And then what? Then you have to water it. You have to keep taking the weeds out. So the seeds for mindfulness, the seeds for stillness of mind, the seeds for wisdom to grow, the seeds for developing the five faculties, faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom, that happens in a mind that has been prepared. So metta is this lubricant. It's this warming agent. It's, it's like, it's not an antibiotic. It's a probiotic. It helps us digest and kind of eliminate all the poisons that have been hovering in our chitta, in our consciousness, habitually, year after year, month after month, decade after decade. The older we are, the more accumulated it becomes. It's horrific what we take in and what we expel. So using metta as a way of gently softening and relaxing the mind 
so that we can expel this energetic, this stressful compactness, the way the body is being held, we're coping. We're just moving from day to day, sometimes robotic-like, sometimes mechanically. If we're practicing sati, mindfulness, and sampajanya, clear comprehension of every activity, daily, as much as we can, that already improves the situation very much. But then, if we come to this practice, to this situation, with the ambition, I'm going to get enlightened. This is it. Here's my chance. I'm going to do it. Six days. (laughs) And then we get here, and of course we're exhausted. We have to spend a couple of days, if we have longer, we could spend a couple of weeks just recovering from daily life, from all that we're holding as human beings. So metta, practiced diligently and ardently, just like mindfulness, helps to introduce a friendliness with the present moment, a friendliness with the body, these bodies that we drag around day to day. It's not that bleak, I'm sure, but for some, I mean, there must be moments when it does. We get sick, we can't get over these viruses, diseases, other people are sick, we have to take care of them. But here, we can really relax and let go. Much is taken care of for us. So if we understand the importance of warming up the field of practice, the body and consciousness, even our being aware, not like a deer-in-the-headlights awareness, but a soft knowing, a soft seeing, a soft touching, a soft way of walking, of eating, of sitting, of holding the body while we meditate, gently, softly, gently, joyfully. Remember we talked about joy as a factor of enlightenment. So metta introduces the practice to us together with mindfulness. Mindfulness helps us be aware of our condition. And metta helps us befriended, accept, wow, okay, this is the condition. And we just accept it as exactly as it is, without a critical mind, without judgment, just as an unconditional friend to ourselves. So this is how we prepare the field of the mind. We add good soil, we till it using mindfulness. Mindfulness knows the weeds. Aha! Greed. Ill will. Doubt, anxiety, restlessness, laziness, sloth and torpor, anger, all those, and they keep popping up. That's why mindfulness has to be in the background, just like if it's hot, you run the fan and it keeps purring and cooling the air. So mindfulness keeps pulling out the weeds. Those little seeds have to be cultivated, and metta keeps watering. 
Metta relies on these factors of energy, faith, and wisdom. We have to trust this process, and we have to keep watering it, taking care of it. Metta is the caregiver. If we want to be caregivers to our family members, to our, uh, our friends, if we want to do our job well, if we want to be successful in, in our work, in our life, then an attitude of kindness and joyfulness is paramount. We are so vulnerable, but if we want protection, metta is a way that can protect us. It gives us protection in the face of irritants. Some people are more and more sensitized now to different contaminants and different ingredients in food, allergies to wheat, allergies to nuts or dairy, inability to tolerate certain chemicals, additives, smells in the room, incense even. That's physical. But notice how sensitive the mind is because of our tightness, because of our inability to tolerate too much. We are holding so much and we are so stressed on many levels. So even a stranger can irritate us. How is that? We're just so unstable. Metta gives us the quality of stability together with samadhi, that focusing the mind, stilling the mind. So sati, samadhi, mindfulness, and the stilling, calming of the mental formations with metta as that umbrella that holds up a protection from all the memories, all the associations that we have to the past, all our projections, all our desires, all our expectations, all this, the whole thought realm, which like as if we're poisoning our own mental atmosphere. And then we're breathing that in. Metta is that warming, calming, softening, gentle, joyful energy that we bring into the heart to behold the path of blessing. It's a path of blessing. And then our little metta tree starts to grow. Suddenly there's, there's a little root coming out. Then we water some more. This garden of metta, we're protecting it with more metta, with more mindfulness, with more stilling of the mental formations, with more wisdom. So the little tree is beginning to, we can see a tiny little, little green bit, and we just keep generating that metta. If we stop, the mind will revert to its old habits. What are those? You familiar with self-criticism, self-deprecation, doubt, a sense of hopelessness? An experienced meditator was just saying today how he felt like getting up and running away. I can't do this practice. After years of practice, after accomplishing quite a lot in the practice, even then, if we stop practicing, we will become so deluded 
as to think that we don't need to do this. It's not important. Let's go back to our tight little box, cram ourselves in there, and try to live a happy life. Meanwhile, the heart is closed. It's even closed to ourselves. We don't have that little garden of metta growing. Even our mindfulness, our awareness, can become shabby and weakened because there are so many contaminants coming in. But with metta, this little garden of dhamma begins to truly grow. And instead of tiny seeds, we start to see saplings. And lo and behold, we will soon have the dhamma growing in the heart with strong roots protecting us day by day. So this is a way that by constantly removing the weeds from the mind and enriching the soil with the nutrients of generosity, of giving to ourselves these opportunities to practice, and then taking the qualities that we develop here and sharing them with other people. How can we share an open heart if we haven't developed the strength to share, if we think that sharing will weaken us? I noticed while I was in a long retreat in Burma when the teachers were chanting a blessing and they said, let's share the merits with all beings. And I thought, I don't have enough merits to share. But I didn't understand that when you share with all beings, it gets bigger. The heart grows bigger. The field of generosity grows the heart. The more we give, the more joy we receive. Especially if we give selflessly without expecting anything in return. That's called unconditional dana. Then we practice unconditional virtue. We keep the precepts even if no one's looking. We have to review our lives. What kind of conduct do we have? Do we sometimes break precepts? Because we think no one is seeing, it's okay. But we are seeing. We see. Oh, what have I done? We see. I've lied, I've cheated, I've broken the trust of someone. We see, we know it. And then we have to live with the poison of that violation. It's a form of violence. Metta is a time for forgiveness. It's an agent of forgiveness. It's an energy of forgiveness. We develop it internally. We have to develop it internally. First, we have to grow the garden within us before we can share it with anyone. Truly. Of course, we can try by generating the words, may you be well, may you be happy. But why do we feel often that this doesn't work? Is because we're not doing it first to number one. Who is number one? Who is number one? Yeah. First, we have to heal ourselves. And in the process of healing, as much as we can, we bring that loving-kindness outwards. But then somebody smacks us 
with a harsh word, we don't then give vent to anger. We try to revert to metta. So we have to make a commitment, we have to practice it daily, tend to it. It's a new little sapling or a seedling that needs so much care. And there are ways to do this. It requires, first of all, a, a strong intention. You can use phrases in your mind. May I be well, may I be happy, may I be peaceful. Or you can just take a few phrases like metta sahagatena chetasa from the chanting. I will abide pervading one quarter with a heart imbued with loving kindness. The first here, the first sphere of metta is within us. Then to someone we love, to a neutral person, and then to someone we are having struggle with. But we have to do this gradually. First, we learn how to pervade this body-mind with that unconditional loving-kindness. However, just like when we first learned how to write or how to use a computer, you do one at a time like this, and then you become more and more adept. So that's what we do. We practice metta. It's a serious practice. It has a tremendous power for samadhi with a graduated practice of metta to experience a bliss that is incomparable to any joy in this world, any joy of the world. It's not the bliss of Nibbana, but it is a, a radiant happiness that we can then extend as a gift to others. What happens when somebody comes to you with a sour face and you smile at them? You don't get tainted by their sourness. You don't swallow it. You don't receive it. You don't get poisoned by it. But if you're, in, in, if you're stressed, contracted, you're mindful, but you're doing it more, not from the heart, but more as a technique than an embodied knowing, an embodied intention, which is embodied because metta is pervading the whole body, from the body of the breath down through the whole organism, is pervaded with metta. And then we become like little light bulbs. If somebody sees, they will want to get a little bit of that glow. It's contagious. Just like anger, if somebody comes in here and starts shouting, we all contract, because anger is, is so polluting. It's contagious. It's a fire. It's inflammatory. It'll burn down and destroy our little metta garden. But if we grow the metta so that we're fully embodied with it, then an angry word can easily be just held away, like we have a field of protection around us. Somebody blamed me for something, unjustly, but there's no justice in this world, it's karma. I was blamed, and I had to listen to this blame, and it triggered me because 
as a kid, I was blamed too. Being the youngest, all that kind of stuff. But if I hold on to those things, no use. I began to notice this pattern, and I could connect the dots and see that the ancient blame that I couldn't deal with as a kid was still in the body. So I felt the contraction, but I worked with it many, many times, and I knew I shouldn't speak. So instead of trying to assert the right to speak, I thought, no, that's not wise. Because if I say anything, then I'm allowing that blame to touch the place which is blameless. So I just said, oh, I'm so sorry. Because if I had refuted the blame, what would have happened is that would have made another person responsible for what had happened. So I kept quiet because I didn't want someone else to be blamed. So I just let it go. I myself know there is no blame. If other people take to blaming, I don't have to follow that. I can just, with metta, not to create harm to anyone. Just to keep silent. And I chose the right to be silent. Actually, that was a silent victory for me. Because for years, I'd been very concerned about my right to speak, my truth. But suddenly, I realized that my right to keep silent was even more true. And it was a moment of incredible joy. That was victory, just to be sure in the silence. I didn't know I had this strength. We all have this right to be imbued with metta in the face of blame or anger or somebody else's disturbance to hold the ground so that we are not disturbed. It's difficult, but if we grow in wisdom and in satisampajanya, in comprehending the situation on many levels, then if we take a moment to stop, not to react, then it's possible for us to choose something better. And if we have metta coursing through our veins, at the tip of our lips, always coming out like metta sahagatena, I do use that mantra a lot, sometimes falling asleep with it. It's just a reservoir of protection from saying the wrong thing, from throwing a grenade that we can never take back because the harm will be caused, the harm will reverberate. So this is how we tend that garden. And it's a moment-by-moment learning. And the joy of it, externally also, it has great repercussions and blessings for beings, ourselves and others. The third practice is using universal, unconditional loving-kindness towards the four quarters, boundlessly, unbounded, going beyond our own mind, our own body, our own karma, across the vast universe.
starting with the whole world, this world full of violence, suffering, chaos, cruelty. Wherever there is non-metta, there is a gap for us to fill. It starts here, and it pervades in all directions. That becomes a practice for liberation of the mind. Uh-huh.